Welcome to the Gay Buddhist Forum, where teachers from all schools of Buddhism offer their perspectives on the Dharma and its application in modern times, especially for LGBTQI audiences. These talks are offered freely to the world and made possible by appreciative listeners. If you would like to support our efforts to share the Dharma with underserved audiences, please visit gaybuddhist.org. There you can donate, find a list of upcoming speakers, or enjoy many hundreds of these recorded talks dating back to 1996. I'm Tony. My name is Stefan. I'm Paul. I'm Larry. My name is Ray. I'm Gwen. I'm Roberto. I'm George. I'm Hal, and I did not get a copy of the hand. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Tim. My name is Greg. I'm Richard. My name is Joe. <clears throat> My name is Christopher. I'm My name is Mark. Don. Mark. Stefan. Peter. My name is Cass. Jason. David. I'm Kay. I'm Brad. My name is Andre. I'm Alzac. Richard. My name is Dennis. Jack. My name is Andrew. Rick. Mike. David. My name is Jerry. Uh, my name is Harley. I'm Clinton. And how? I'll lend you my copy. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I always hear you with me. <laughs> my name is Bob. Oh, sorry. Thank you. And um, welcome, John, John Martin, who is uh, our teacher today. And uh, John teaches Vipassana meta and LGBTQI themed meditation retreats. He leads an ongoing weekly Monday evening meditation group in the Castro. Teaches both an advanced practitioners program group and a dedicated mm -hmm. practitioners group. And is a co-guiding teacher for the LGBTQ LGBT queer mm -hmm. Sangha at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City. John serves on both the Spirit Rock Teachers Council and the Governing Teachers Council. He has a dedicated practice while being engaged in the working world and emphasizes practice for daily life. He completed SRMC, IMS, IRC, <laughs> four-year teacher training in 2016. John served as hospice volunteer for many years, first with Shanti Project and more recently with the Zen Hospice Project. So thank you. Thank you. Welcome. I feel like I'm just shortening that bio now. It's a long bio. Uh, so I'm going to have to ask for support with my voice to make sure it's loud enough. Am I loud enough right now? Yes. Okay. So a few folks. So Harley, if you can particularly, Harley, David, just give me a signal if I need to raise my voice. My voice tends to fade. Uh, so great to be with a group. I, I always feel so uh, at home and such a comfort level as a teacher to be among folks in my sangha, LGBTQI sangha. So I feel very at home in this group. So today we're going to speak about the uh, three kinds of happiness that the Buddha referred to. And this is a path of happiness. 
a lot of reference to dukkha, the unreliability, unsatisfactoriness, the, the suffering that's inherent to being a human being. But ultimately, it is a path that leads to a greater and greater happiness. And Analia, the Venerable Analia, who is offering such great common commentary on the teachings and uh, translations of the teachings, emphasizes this uh, quality of happiness coming forward at every step along the path. So it's interesting that the Buddha, the Buddha in his time, lived about 2,600 years ago, the Buddha was known as the happy one. He was known as the happy one, and yet he had seen the suffering of the entire world, the suffering of the entire world in the time he lived. And with the perfect eye of a Buddha, he could see the suffering of the past and the suffering of the future. He could hold it all with a heart that was entirely open to compassion for that suffering and hold it in the balance of equanimity, the acceptance of things as they are. And with all of that, he was known as a happy one, a, a cooler, contented kind of peaceful happiness that was probably present in his life. So for all of us, we open to happiness. We open to the happiness of being more present just for the ordinary pleasures of our life, maybe for the good meal we're going to have uh, following this time together, maybe for the happiness of being in Sangha and community, um, the happiness that comes with being outside on a beautiful day like this, some of the ordinary pleasures in life. We're more fully present with our practice of being present in our bodies, being present with moment-to-moment -moment awareness for these kind of simple pleasures. And then we begin to open to a greater happiness that's not so dependent on the conditions of our lives or the conditions of the world, where we begin to find a, a peace, a contentment, maybe in the midst of being sick, maybe in the midst of watching the national news and seeing what's going on. We begin to be less affected by the external conditions of the world. And we begin to hold it all with balance, the equanimity that came forward for the Buddha, this, this quality of accepting the present moment as it is and recognizing it's like this. This moment is like this. And a, a very deep, heartfelt acceptance of the way things are. And then we begin to open to an even greater happiness that, that transcends all conditions. This is the direction of our practice. It transcends all conditions of the world. And along the path of practice, too, our, our hearts open up. This is both Buddhist practice as a wisdom practice, seeing and knowing things as they are, and a heart practice. The heart opens up, and the beautiful qualities come forward, the beautiful qualities of uh, empathetic uh, joy, Mudita and compassion, karuna. So uh, it becomes a rich practice where these beautiful qualities can come, can come forward very naturally. So I make this uh, practice. I live right in the Castro and a half block from Market Street. So Market Street, busy street, of course. There's a lot of suffering, a lot more homeless than ever, and there's also a lot of joy. 
people on the street, people walking their dogs, friends together. And it's a, it's a rich place for me to practice on Market Street. Don't always remember <laughs> by any means, but this is kind of, it's a practice of remembering, coming back into the present moment. So I'll, I'll watch. Just this morning I was walking the dog and I could, walking my dog Gandalf. <laughs> and uh, see a lot of homeless people. And I, I could so I walk by one homeless person, all this trash strewn around this homeless person. I felt this aversion, felt the heart close, I felt anger at what I was seeing. So what's going on? I, I checked, okay, there, there's aversion, there's anger. And once I could be present for that, then the heart opened up and I could feel some human connection and see this was a human being who was greatly suffering. It was, I think, tweaking and uh, probably a severe addiction. It wasn't like an overwhelming kind of compassion, but just felt some felt sense of heart connection that came forward from being present. When we're present, and there's suffering, whether it's our own suffering or the suffering of others, compassion is a spontaneous response of the heart. It recognizes suffering and wishes it to end. So this can be a rich practice just to pay attention to, is there suffering and is there compassion? Maybe the next time when you're feeling back pain or neck pain, when you're sitting in meditation, check it out. Is there discomfort? Is there compassion? And just a simple acknowledgement sometimes of, I'm suffering, this is suffering. That simple acknowledgement usually brings forth compassion. And it's interesting how mudita, the quality of empathetic joy, is such the next door neighbor, this immediate responsiveness of the heart that recognizes the happiness of others and wishes it to continue. So... Think of His Holiness the Dalai Lama as really embodying, embodying these qualities of happiness. He's known as being very playful, so very playful with ordinary pleasures of life. And he has this uh, quality of understanding the way things are, recognizing the impermanence of everything in our human experience and doesn't fall into reactivity. So he's able even to recognize the Chinese government senior officials who took his country of Tibet away. He calls them his friends, my friends, the enemy. Quality of great, great peace. And he's not overcome by ill will or hatred. So we all have the, this potentiality of, of awakening to the deepest Deepest freedom and happiness. The Buddha refers to this as uh, garbha, uh, the Pali word. Garbha is this embryonic potentiality for awakening that's within every being. Like Buddha nature is a way to describe this. So every being has this right to awaken to this deeper happiness that transcends the conditions of the world. And we, we are all on the path. The Buddha said there's no getting off the path. You're on the path, can't get off. Even if you stop meditating for a few years, you're still on the path. Uh, and the path leads in one direction. And we all benefit from the practice. And I'll particularly emphasize in the talk today the importance of opening and appreciating uh, the happiness that comes forward in our practice. So there is, there is suffering, and that's part of the practice. I was pointing out the aversion, anger that 
arises in my practice sometimes when I walk on Market Street, see the suffering. But when we open to see that suffering, it supports the clear seeing, supports the purification of the heart, supports the release of the heart. It gets captured well in this quote from uh, Bishop Desmond Tutu. We are meant to live in joy. This does not mean that life will be easy or painless. It means that we can turn our faces to the wind and accept that this is a storm we must pass through. We're required to turn toward whatever is present and trust the practice, trust the purification process that will follow and that it leads to a greater happiness. So the three kinds of happiness. I'll I'll be, um, for those of you who are into the Buddhist texts, I'm uh, referring to the Samyutta Nikaya 36-31 where the Buddha speaks about the three kinds of happiness and also drawing from... uh, instructions from one of my teachers, Philip Moffat, on uh, these three kinds of happiness. So I mentioned the first kind is this happiness of the simple pleasures of the world, of good food, friends, nature, hearing good music, having a, a cup of tea, just simple pleasures. And the Buddha didn't deny these pleasures. This is, is a, Buddha's teachings are a middle way practice. He doesn't call for either an extreme asceticism or overindulgence. So he acknowledges there is a pleasure, a happiness from these simple pleasures, but that often we end up clinging, holding on, trying to make these simple pleasures permanent. And the second kind of happiness is based more on understanding, based on understanding the way things are, recognizing the impermanent nature of all experiences. And it's based on accepting that the present circumstance is as it is and can't be different. And then there's a happiness that's entirely independent of any condition of the world. So it's uh, the ultimate transcendence of the material conditions. It's uh, not dependent on health, relationships, finances, politics, anything else. So I'll talk today about the... uh, by more details on these three kinds of happiness and offer some uh, tools to support uh, bringing forth more happiness and joy in practice. So, I think maybe I'll tell a story. I wasn't going to tell this story, but it's one of my favorite stories. I think only a few of you have heard it. Uh, my favorite story of meeting uh, His Holiness the Dalai Lama and uh, Sorry, it, it makes me feel happy just reflecting on it. And uh, so about 12 years ago, I was working at the airport, worked at the airport for many years, and um, I've been practicing for about six, seven years. And one of the police officers who I knew uh, at the airport told me His Holiness the Dalai Lama would be coming through the airport and that uh, he could arrange for me to, to see him when he got off the plane. Uh, so I arranged to go into the airport and meet him uh, on a Saturday morning. And um, he uh, came in on a Japan Airlines flight from Tokyo, traveling all the way from India. So he'd probably been traveling for close to 18 hours, maybe 20 hours, a very long day. And uh, I met him at the bottom of the stairs from the airplane because he doesn't have to go through uh, customs. He's a head of state, so he doesn't have to go through customs like the rest of us. And I expected there'd be a lot of 
people from his uh, Tibetan Buddhist community there to meet him, but with his new security regulations at that time, uh, there were only his own Secret Service, U.S. Secret Service, and police. So that, uh, probably 30 people there. And there were two of us who were not carrying guns. His Holiness the Dalai Lama and myself. <laughs> and, uh, he, he, was, he, just, he came down those stairs after that long trip and he was just radiating kindness and happiness, a sense of peace. Clearly someone who had realized this, this greatest, this deeper happiness that even with the loss of his own country, he was a he was a source of happy a source of happiness and joy in the world. So he came down the stairs and um, I bowed to him and he took my hand and I didn't expect it but the uh, police officer had a camera and took our photo together and while the photo was being taken I told His Holiness the Dalai Lama that I was a practitioner and uh, he nodded and then he walked to his car slowly maybe 60 70 feet. Motorcade of about five cars, and he was about ready to get into the car, and then he looked back toward me, and I thought he can't be looking at me. But, uh, what do you do? I, when you, His Holiness the Dalai Lama is looking at you, I, I bowed to him, and he waved me over, motioned me over, and uh, took my hand again, and just said, "Tell me, I want to know how long have you been practicing." And that's really just a story, that he was so present that he could feel the importance of my meeting him and this natural compassion, recognizing my suffering, my wish to practice, to realize the end of suffering, his generosity after that long day of travel to take the time to call me over, his kindness. and. Uh, the police officer took a whole series of photos throughout. I didn't realize this, but as the motorcade was pulling away, I had this in the photo, like the look of uh, the deepest equanimity that I've seen on my own face, a sense of peace from having uh, had that contact with His Holiness the Dalai Lama. So supports some supports for bringing forth uh, happiness, um, gratitude. I, I like to often begin, when I provide instructions for meditation, to begin with opening to gratitude, because it brings forth joy. And uh, Analia often begins guided meditations with gratitude, instructions on gratitude. When we're grateful for what we have, it bring, brings forth a sense of enoughness, like, I have enough in life to be happy. Um, for whatever degree of health, good health, we might have. For, Maybe gratitude for the Dharma, gratitude for the miracle of having a meal every time we sit down to eat. So many things to be grateful for. Just living in San Francisco is something I'm continuing to be grateful for. Gratitude supports a, a sense of settling in, contentment, acceptance. So I'll share three quotes on gratitude. I think. Two of these three folks are LGBTQI, maybe, maybe all three. You can let me know if you know. First from Maya Angelou. Let gratitude be the pillow upon you which you kneel to say your nightly prayer. Uh, this is what I was suggesting, opening to gratitude with each, each meditation sitting, being like a foundation for practice. 
She goes on to say, and let faith be the bridge you build to overcome evil and walk in good. Faith in the Buddhist understanding means trusting, trusting of the heart, trusting of the heart. So a quote from Brother Steindel Rost, it is not happiness that makes us grateful, it is gratefulness that makes us happy. Every moment is a gift. He has a lot of beautiful quotes on gratitude, if you look online. And from this wise figure, Piglet, and, uh, <laughs> and Winnie the Pooh. Piglet noted that even though he had a very small heart, he could hold a rather large amount of gratitude. Uh, when we're present, when we're present in our bodies, in our lives, we open to more and more of these moments of gratitude and therefore more and more moments of joy. And the beautiful qualities of our own heart, they're already there, you could say, the qualities of loving kindness and compassion, equanimity, just very naturally come forward. And we connect with other human beings. Like when our hearts open with gratitude for what we have, somehow we open up to see that we're all connected. We're all so completely interconnected in life. For the things we're grateful for, we're connected to other beings and suffering. Every being subject to old age, sickness, and death. Every being wanting happiness, safety, health, and ease, just as we do. Every being, without exception. We really open our hearts to this human connection. Another great source of happiness comes as we harmonize our words and our actions in the world. Uh, to be in, in harmony with our own hearts, with our own heart's deepest wishes, to be in the world in a non-harming way, in a supportive way for others. This is often described as ethical behavior, but I, I much prefer the word harmony. Harmonizing our words and actions to be in harmony with other beings, in harmony with society. Um, the Buddha used the words, the bliss of blamelessness that comes forward when we're in harmony with our own hearts. From Gandhi, happiness is when what you think, what you say, and what you do are in harmony. And from His Holiness the Dalai Lama, happiness isn't ready-made. It comes from your actions, emphasizing the importance of actions. And in my own practice, uh, the happiness that comes forward is I really bring the deepest attention to my intentions in the world. Um, it was shortly after I met His Holiness the Dalai Lama that I made the decision to bring the practice to, my, to the whole of my life. And the key aspect in bringing the practice to the, to the whole of my life has been practicing with wise intention to check if there's an intention of kindness, intention of non-harming, and an intention of letting go, of not getting caught up in needing things to be a particular way. So a little bit more on all three kinds of happiness. The first kind of happiness, um, happiness based on condition, conditions, Philip Moffat calls this sukha dukkha. <laughs> 
Sukha meaning well-being, but dukkha because it's it's ultimately not reliable because things are constantly changing. We can't hang, hang on to these things. I think in, when I came into practice, I had a lot of well-being, a lot of sukha in my life. And when I came into practice 19 years ago, good job, a great partner, husband that I'm still with, a lot of good things in life. But the feeling was there had to be something more. There was some deep sense of unsatisfactoriness that, that maybe you connect with as well, like this calling for a deeper happiness that transcends conditions of the world. So these ordinary pleasures, when we're more present, there's a quote from James Joyce, um, when we're more present in our bodies, James Joyce quote is, um, Mr. Duffy lived a short distance from his body. <laughs> we can all connect to this. And we keep returning to our bodies. When we're present in our bodies, we can more enjoy the, the moments of happiness, of pleasure. I was at the uh, ballet on Friday night with my partner, and the mind was doing its thing, wandering away from enjoying the ballet and the tool I was connecting with is reconnect to the body. Feel the butt on the seat. <laughs> Feel the feet on the floor. And I could be present to enjoy the ballet, to enjoy the beautiful dancing. And it's the, the tool we have to keep returning to the moment-to-moment experience throughout our whole lives. And with a practice of presence, of being present for our lives, we can enjoy these moments without hanging on to them. To know they're temporary and just enjoy them. I think this quote uh, captures it really well. Wise words from Dr. Seuss. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it happened. (laughs) Just enjoying what happened without clinging to it. So it's a matter of just returning again and again to this practice of present awareness, to the practice of being in the body. Sharon Salzberg, mindfulness isn't difficult. We just need to remember to do it. Remembering again and again. This uh, first kind of happiness, the Buddha labeled uh, carnal happiness, is at the sense doors, the sense pleasures. So the second kind of happiness, the Buddha called spiritual happiness, and uh, Philip Moffat labels anicca sukha. So sukha, well-being, anicca, impermanence. So it recognizes these pleasures, the pleasures are uh, happiness is temporary, but this second kind of happiness is based upon the attitude of the mind. It really more deeply recognizes the transitory nature of experience. It recognizes the present moment can't be any different. Now this very present moment can't be any different than it is. And it's such a source of suffering when we try and make the present moment different. It may be that there's an injustice or something we need to speak and take action on in the next moment. But when we accept the present circumstance as it is, we open to peace. So a lot lot of the great uh, world slash spiritual leaders are people who both recognize the injustice but had the wisdom to recognize the present circumstance can't be different. Leaders like Nelson Mandela and His Holiness the Dalai Lama, uh, Gandhi, they 
they recognize with a peaceful acceptance this is the way it is. Now appropriate action is necessary. But they held it all, held the present moment with that deep sense of equanimity. So for all of us, this way it manifests is we, we can get, uh, we can face difficulties in our lives where we're, our health isn't perfect, but we have that sense. Maybe you can connect with some feeling of that now where health isn't perfect, but I see my happiness is not dependent on having perfect health. And um, we see our happiness isn't dependent necessarily on who's in the elected offices in our country. Uh, or we can find happiness even when our finances, our relationships may be, may be difficult as we accept things as they are. Sometimes we get caught up with our practice. We can see where the mind gets caught and then release. A few months ago, um, day before Thanksgiving, I came down with a sinus infection and I wasn't I thought, well, I'll, I can rest all day and be there for uh, the great dinner a friend of ours is cooking the next day. And we weren't even going to have to bring anything. This is a great Thanksgiving dinner. And she's a great cook, professional cook. And uh, I woke up Thanksgiving Day, and I was just bedridden. I was so sick. And the mind was really spinning. What, what did I do wrong? Why didn't I take better care of myself? Why is it happening now? I was shooting that second arrow, you may here referred to in the teachings of the resistance, the clinging, the reactivity to the present circumstance. <coughs> so eventually, after a few hours, I said, oh yeah, I have this practice. Mm-hmm. Return to the body. What's going on? A whole lot of reactivity. Oh, I'm suffering. I'm suffering. Allowing some sense of compassion to come forward. So I, I couldn't go to the dinner. And, uh, my partner tried to call Uber and have Uber deliver some food to me from the dinner. Mm-hmm. Uber doesn't deliver food that way. Mm-hmm. So my Thanksgiving dinner was a peanut butter sandwich and an orange. <laughs> so that, that was all that was in the refrigerator. And I was happy. It wasn't, it wasn't an overflowing kind of happiness, but I felt basic peace because I wasn't caught in reactivity. This happiness that's not so dependent on conditions. <clears throat> Captured by Ajahn Chah in this quote, try to be mindful and let things take their natural course. Then your mind will become still. Problems will arise and you will see through them immediately. This is the happiness of the Buddha. So we begin to see more clearly what leads to happiness and what leads to suffering. And actually the greatest happiness, the greatest happiness is not in the material conditions of the world. And the cause of suffering is a clinging and wanting things to be a particular way, wanting what is, trying to make what is pleasant, what is pleasurable permanent, when it can't be made permanent. We cling to having perfect health, cling to wanting all of the people in our lives to behave the way we want them to behave, getting all the people elected to office in our country that can really make the right changes in our country. If we cling to those things, we suffer. If we make our happiness dependent on those things, we suffer. 
if we don't claim, when we don't cling to anything whatsoever, peace is possible in any moment. Even in moments of great physical discomfort. Even in the midst of the ill will and hatred that is so prevalent in our country right now. We can be at peace in any moment where there's non-clinging. It's a third noble truth. Peace is possible. So, need to end about 10, 10 hours? Is that yes. it? Okay, we're going to end. So I want to share another story. I just found this on the internet uh, recently. A story of brings me happiness and sharing of how when we're present, this is even for a child being present, the way of gratitude and kindness and compassion naturally come forward. So this is a story of uh, a nine-year-old Sheikh Fazal who was walking with his father in Kuala Lumpur, Malaysia, through a train station. And uh, a lot of homeless people on the tr this transit station. It's the same all over the world, a, a gathering place for homeless transit stations. And this nine-year-old child saw another child with, to, with his mother, and the uh, child was about the same age, <clears throat> barefoot. So this, this nine-year-old child, uh, Sheikh, ran over to the child, took off his shoes and socks, and put them on the other child, and, uh, and then kissed on each cheek the homeless child. It's kind of this natural responsiveness of kindness, compassion, generosity coming forward. So, of course, in the internet age, uh, it was filmed. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, Sheikh's father commented on his, uh, how proud he was of his son's compassion. He said, my son saw the young boy without shoes and made the decision to help him. He showed his love for everyone there, even though they are homeless. He went home without his own shoes. And he said, there are many homeless people, but if everybody makes a small gesture of kindness, we can improve their lives. So, the third, third kind of happiness, the third kind of happiness is this transcendent happiness that uh, Philip calls Sukha Sukha. You could call it happiness squared, Excellent. deepest happiness, I mean, deep bliss, beyond bliss. One of the terms uh, Buddha uses to describe this is uh, spiritual equanimity, deep, deep equanimity that comes forward. It deeply understands, there's a deep understanding at this level of the truth of the way things are, that everything we know in the love in the world is completely impermanent, nothing to cling to whatsoever. And the understanding that uh, if we cling to any, anything at all, there's suffering. And if there's no stage director of the show, we let go of the self-identification, all self-identification at this level of understanding. My voice is fading. Can you still hear? I'll up it. Up it. So it's the deepest, deepest letting go. A quote from uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, letting go gives us freedom, and freedom is the only condition for happiness. If in our hearts we still cling to anything, anger, anxiety, possessions, we cannot be free. And we all do 
open these moments of happiness, just these profound moments of happiness we can often miss. So they can be small and short, but they really are supporting an, an opening to the deeper and uh, more lasting when we realize this is the deepest level, it becomes kind of an unshakable happiness. But we can see these moments of complete letting go when there's no hanging on to the future, no grasping onto something of the past, just when we're completely present, not in any clinging whatsoever, we have these moments of great peace, of great contentment. Um, it might be a moment, someone described to me recently, of taking off their shoe, taking the midst of taking off her shoe. Ah, great peace. At a time when a lot of people can experience is seeing a sunset. We know like we can see a beautiful sunset on the beach and we know it's not going to last, right? <laughs> no one thinks a sunset's going to last. You can't cling to a sunset. But just being present to that beauty in that moment, the moment of freedom. Once in a while I experienced when, when my favorite dancer, the ballet, Yan Yan Tan, has been dancing I think, for 24 years. Um, must be nearing the end of her career, and it's just there's, there's something that just releases sometimes in seeing her dancing that transcends even the momentary awareness that goes beyond. For some people, it's like right when we're in the midst, maybe when we're with someone who's dying, in the midst of great suffering, or we receive a uh, serious health diagnosis ourselves. There's, there can sometimes be just <clears throat> this moment of complete letting go. You wouldn't just normally describe that as a happiness, but it's, a, it's kind of a peace or contentment that goes beyond the ordinary world. So, so in conclusion, I want to uh, emphasize the importance of recognizing both the simple moments of happiness, ordinary moments of happiness. Don't cling to those, just accepting those moments and then appreciating the moments of happiness that come forward with the attitude of the mind when we recognize the present circumstance can't be different than it is. When we begin to open to this happiness that's not so dependent on the conditions of the world. And then appreciating those moments of the complete letting go where there's no hanging on whatsoever. And then sharing those moments of happiness with others. So when we share our happiness, it's contagious. You know, when we, we can feel us ourselves, when we're around people who are happy, we can feel our own happiness open up too. So end with a quote from Plato. He, he who is of calm and happy nature will hardly feel the pressure of age, but to him who is of an opposite disposition, youth and age are equally a burden. <laughs> so left a, a little time for comments or uh, questions on happiness. <laughs> yes. I'm Jason. Hi, Jason. And I wanted to just respond um, in regards to Dr. Seuss's quote, mm -hmm. um, in regards to his don't, 
Because mm-hmm. I have a challenge with <clears throat> when happiness is talked about or it's emphasized in our culture mm-hmm. that everyone wants to deny the unhappy feelings yeah. because then we get trapped in yeah. oh, that person's depressed. Right. And so I'm going to bring in uh, Winnie the Pooh for a moment since she mm-hmm. brought him Piglet that we have Eeyore and there's a great quote going around the internet about how Eeyore isn't critiqued for being Eeyore. He's always allowed to come to every party, to every mm-hmm. gathering for them. So mm-hmm. they don't seem to have a problem with him. Yeah. But I wanted to just edit Dr. Seuss's quote with, sure. rather than a don't, a uh-huh. do, uh-huh. And, and put in an and. Uh-huh. Okay. So let's let's try re rethink. Uh, Piglet noted that... And not, not the Piglet one, but uh, uh, Dr. Seuss quote. Dr. Seuss, sorry. Ah. Okay, so let me read it the way, the way it's written. Don't cry because it's over. Smile because it, it happened. So you would change it to cry because it's no, over. Do, do, do cry. Uh-huh. Do cry because it's over and smile because it happened. Yes. Okay. Beautiful. <laughs> I like that. And it's, it fits... It fits with our practice because we're to shine the light of awareness on everything that's present. In effect, welcoming all the visitors that come into awareness with acceptance. And uh, I like that. <laughs> I like that. Can I use that in the future? I will, I, will use, I will use this quote without edit because it does better capture the practice. Thank you. That's my hand over here. Clark? Um. Great to see oh, you. It's a, great long, it's a long time. Have you read 50 PQ Sylvia years ago, 2004 or something? Like yeah. That. So, uh, so this may be two personal questions you can answer personally or not. The Thanksgiving quote, the Thanksgiving story I thought was so interesting. Mm-hmm. How like you were unhappy mm-hmm. and you were mm-hmm. thinking about something else, and then there was this letting go. Yeah. And what I'm kind of curious about is, when I think about it myself, my own practice, sometimes. If I'm doing something, and like this morning, for example, and I was at a certain stage, like I took that in practice, then like something will arise that's like, oh wow, it's gone right away. Yeah. But then other times, I'm sort of intellectually aware that oh, this is suffering. Uh, it doesn't quite go away like that. It's sort right. of it's, it's it's less like oh, it's gone than it is some quite elaborate set of. Coming and going, so I'm just so curious. If you well, I think more. it's really it ties right to what Jason. Jason said too. I mean, it's like sometimes we're just like when this morning when I was walking, I saw this homeless person, just saw the aversion and it went like that. Other times, like when I was sick with that uh, sinus infection, I really had to be with the reactivity and see the aversion and judging and feel the tension in the body and be with that for some time, and then it'd go away and would come back. And sometimes I, it's like a bouncing basketball. It bounces once, you have to see it, then it bounces a little less, see it again, see it again. Eventually it stops. But it also required compassion. So I, I had to be present for it and then allow the recognition of the suffering. And very naturally, some sense of compassion for myself came forward. And with the self-compassion, <coughs> then I could relax. So. Letting go, we can't just command, let go. Like, it would, that'd be great, wouldn't it? Like, it let go and realize enlightenment. Not so easy. It requires attention, it requires compassion, and kindness, equanimity. Um, yeah, sometimes it requires a lot, whole lot of work and being like going to the deepest levels of shame or fear or grief that we may carry. 
for decades in our life, and it really requires some continued going back within to allow compassionate attention to allow the healing to happen. Is that, is that helpful? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's kind of related to Jason's comment mm-hmm. in the sense that I think that um, sometimes people can like judge themselves or judge others of like, uh, why don't you just get over it, right? Yeah. So there's a way in which like sometimes the way people say the things that you're saying might be misunderstood as like, oh, you should only did it yeah. right, it would just go away right away, mm-hmm. as opposed to that who knows, yeah. sometimes, like you said, it just goes away, and yeah. sometimes it's quite yeah. bouncing ball. Yeah, yeah. I appreciate you both making these comments. I, I kind of now feeling like you probably could have emphasized the importance more of being with the difficulties as they come up and that having to really stick with it to, and the willingness to welcome all of those visitors with compassion um, to support the joy coming forward the happiness coming forward. It's a path of happiness, but it's not an easy path. And, and as this one Tutu said, we have, have to turn toward the wind, to turn toward the wind. Anybody else? Yes. Hi. Um, yeah, this morning I had, I think, just an experience of the difficulty of the, um, trying to be compassionate enough with homeless people. Mm-hmm. There was this, I was at, waiting for the bus at church and market and somebody was crossing the street with a really ramshackle wagon that fell apart on the, mm-hmm. on the um, streetcar tracks and he just started throwing, throwing his stuff off to the side of the road and, and just yelling kind of to no one in particular that, you know, he wished he didn't, he'd rather not be alive than have to live with this, carrying this stuff around. And, um, and I saw that he had, you know, left a kind of orange highlighter and a disc of metal behind. So I took it to him and said, I hope your, I hope your day gets better. And he said, like, I, um, I hope I hope it ends, and and I said I hope not. Um, well, because I was caught between like there was no way I was going to be able to address the depth of his mm-hmm. um, despair at that moment. Mm-hmm. And I didn't I didn't want to argue with him about it, and I didn't want to. Um, I didn't want to mm. affirm it, so I just said, mm. I hope your day gets better. Mm. But I guess I, I would be grateful for the presence of mine I had to to be able to offer a gesture to him, but wish that I had more of a practice to engage more fully, rather than hop on the bus that was coming. Mm. It's a beautiful act that you took the time to reach out and offer support in some way, and that you're so, pro- you're processing, you're 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 mindful of the practice, you're right with the practice. Yeah. Uh, it's just there's so much despair there. Yeah, you, know, you can't. You want to do something 
to alleviate it, but yeah. it's, I don't know where to start. And it's a compassion, there's a wish for it to end, compassion recognizes suffering and wishes it to end, and sometimes there is the appropriate action, and sometimes it's just the recognition, the deep felt recognition and feeling of the suffering and the, and the wishing for it to end, even if there's nothing that one can really do in that moment. Mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing that. Thank you. Um, yeah, it's about time to close, so thank you very much. And um, uh, who's the host today? So, I am the host today. Go there for some tantrums and mad bloods out there. If there's hot water for tea, please put your cup in the dishwasher when you're done. That's a sign-up sheet here on the credenza if you'd like to get our um, newsletter. And uh, suggested donation is uh, coming around with the Donovan. Suggested donation is $10. Um, and some people meet to go out to lunch at the door around 12.30, so that's an invitation. Um, one of our Sangha members, George, dropped off a bag of um, grapefruits his friend picked from the tree in Palm Springs, so help yourself to freshly picked grapefruits. Any other announcements? Um, if you were not here last... Oh, sorry. Uh, I schedule a host. We could use... We don't have a host schedule for next week, so if anybody's willing to step in and handle that, please speak to me during social time. I actually do have an announcement. Uh, Joe Good uh, has a dance performance on his, with his troupe at the Jewish Museum over across from Yuvalina. I think it's April 3rd. Um, so I, I tend to go. Nice to other people might consider it. It would be good to support Joe and also be a really entertaining experience. I think that's the free day, too. Is it? Okay, I don't know. Um, for those that were new, we uh, our Sangha also, uh, we put out a newsletter, a quarterly newsletter that goes to people in prison, Buddhists in prison and other things. And one of our prison, one of the prison pen pals painted this for us. We arrived last week. It's, um, there's a card if you want to read it, but um, we agreed last week. We just put it up every week when we come in, and um, mm-hmm. the knot, the forever knot, represents to him this sort of community always being together, never being apart, this oneness. Um, so yeah, that's um, has a our giving has an impact. Um, uh, next week, April seventh, is open discussion, small groups. So um, that's the next week. Anything else? All right, let's gather for our dedication. <coughs> special dedication that you No, I think it's special as one of you under. Or we we'll just have this one. Okay, that's fine. Thank you very much. By the power and truth of this practice, May all beings have happiness and the causes of happiness. May all be free from sorrow and the causes of sorrow. May all never be separated from the sacred happiness which is without sorrow. And may all live in equanimity without too much attachment or too much aversion, believing in the equality of all that lives. Thank you for listening to the Gay Buddhist Forum. If you would like to hear several new talks per month 
and be notified of upcoming speakers so you can participate live. Please subscribe to this podcast, like us on Facebook, and join our mailing list by visiting gaybuddhist.org.